How are you today, Sindhu? I'm doing good. I'm glad you messaged me. Yeah, I know. I, when I stumbled upon the podcast, I thought that was a pretty cool concept. I listened to a few of your guys' uh, recordings, and I'm honored to be a guest. So thank you for having me. Uh, thanks goes to you. No, it's uh, the, the main thing is just trying to get people to understand that, you know, we're trying to do something that um, mainly just kind of reaches like normal people. I know I said normal people, but no one's really normal, but just kind of like table yeah. talk. So because I, I feel like that's kind of the lost thing in America these days. Like you just hear talking point, talking point, talking point, And then what if real people actually think? And I think that's going to resonate with more people than not. So. So why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit? All right. Well, I am a clinically licensed therapist that's not practicing because I'm currently a stay-at-home mom um, to a toddler. Yeah. Aw. So that explains my hair and <laughs> our personal hygiene, which luckily you guys don't have to see in person today. But... Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to, trying to navigate what being a stay-at-home mom during a pandemic looks like. You know, it's totally different than what it would be like not during a pandemic. And then on top of that, um, I think being a person of color during all of the um, racially loaded stuff that's going on, too, um, there's just a lot. Like, you know, I think... Um, mental health for a lot of people right now is kind of tanking and fear is like in the forefront Absolutely. and you know a lot of big things coming up so yeah i guess so i don't really know the original question is to tell me about yourself and um i think it's a that pretty good description i mean <laughs> it's when i think about it um you know uh i live with somebody that has anxiety and so dealing, dealing with the stresses of uh, being at home, you know, that, that, first, that first call to like, okay, work is going away now. Like you're, you are going to work from home. And Monica is such a bubbly, like always wants to be talking to somebody type person. So that whole switch, you know, was really interesting to kind of see where she's like just working from home, you know, and, and especially, you know, then, then you can't go to your normal places or see your normal people. So how do you navigate that? Right. No, that's exactly the issue. So, like, I'm super extroverted, and so I realize how desperate I am for connection. Like, the pizza delivery guy comes, and I, like, I'm lingering. Like, I'm just, like, hoping he talks to me longer, right? <laughs> that. Or, like, I go to the grocery store, and the cashier, and, you know, there's, like, first of all, we're both wearing masks, and there's plexiglass or whatever so there's like eight layers between us and I'm just like tell me more about your life you know like I just linger for those connections with people so yeah it's like super hard for extroverts but then I also feel like introverts have now we're at that point where like they've reached their max too like oh, it yeah. doesn't matter oh yeah no so are you uh what's what's your thoughts on like going back to work and getting back out in society are you kind of uh, what kind what kind of bank do you land on? Because I'm kind of a toss up, you know, how it works now, like with reopening schools and like reopening jobs and. I know, I know. So like, I'm always a 
I just like me personally, I'm a rip the bandaid off type of person where like things have to be just done in extremes. Like I can't do things gradually or in really like a logical manner. So I feel like for me, if I were to return to work, I'd have to be like, all right, it's happening. It's going full swing. The gradual ease would be hard. But I feel like um, a gradual ease theoretically is how it needs to be approached. Right. Because like when we got thrown into the pandemic, we we're just thrown into it. There was no gradual ease, right? Yeah. And it was really hard for people. Um, and now we're adjusted to that. And now, you know, we have to adjust to going back to how we were. And that's a process. That's not something you can just switch on and off. So mm-hmm. I'm the only one here without kids. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and it's always kind of always the case right now. But um, how, how, what about play dates and stuff like that? Do you kind of see that like? with your kids' friends and having a toddler that probably wants to see other children. That's kind of something that's weird to think about as well. Oh, that that's a great question. I don't know if that's geared to just me. Cause I'm like curious to hear of like the, uh, the other people that have kids yeah. too, but like, so pretty much I'm his friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what a punishment. But, um, and he's done nothing wrong. But, yeah, so, you know, um, he doesn't, yeah, because he stays at home with me. And it's it's interesting. Like, I wonder if there's going to be, like, delayed so, sort of onset of social skills that would otherwise be learned during that time. But, because um, yeah. he's me. What about you guys? What What's, like, with your kids? What do you, mine's a toddler. He's still too young, so. Well, Jesse's a good answer to that question because he's got yeah. a, a, a good spread. It doesn't really affect – I mean, it doesn't really affect my kids much, I don't think. I mean, my two oldest ones, you know, they're able to drive and stuff, so so they can kind of get around and do their own thing. And the rest of them, I mean, they, did, they didn't hang out with that. They mostly just hang out playing video games online with their friends, so it's no <laughs> – yeah, they have phones already. Um, and then my youngest, I mean, he's, he's too young to even really have, really have any kind of steady friendship. I mean, he's only mm-hmm. a year and a half, so – not doing a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of South Park MMORPG. Wow, mine's mine's about a year and a half, so maybe they can. Uh, there you go. Just stare at each other or something. <laughs> well, no, Ezra. New Ezra, he loves. I mean, he loves kids his age. He's fascinated by other children. Um, <laughs> Just put plexiglass between them. <laughs> it's like the boy in the bubble. We can put them in little bubbles and they can run into each other. <laughs> that would be fun as an adult. I can't, you know, it's yeah, fun as a time. <laughs> yeah, it would. I think I think we came up with a new business idea. Um, we call it bubble social experiments. Like, it's everybody runs around the bubble balls, and they can actually talk yeah. to each other and drink. I think that would be a huge hit. Social distancing and interactions. So what about you? Andy's got a five-month-old. Yeah, almost six months. Almost six months. So I, uh, I feel like I can't contribute much. She, she uh, sees me and... And Jake, and then my mom. <laughs> That's about it. Yep. Until we come over here. Right, well, right before we, like, locked down. Like, right before. Yeah. We, we were still allowed to have anybody and everybody <laughs> come visit us in the hospital. <laughs> can you, mad, can you imagine yeah. being in a hospital and then not only dying alone, but also, like, giving birth alone and, like, the husband can't do, uh, have the experience and, like, that'd be weird. Is that true? 
Um, the husband's some, can't be in there right now? Some hospitals That's... do allow the husband and okay. only the husband. Okay. Like my, our sister-in-law is about to give birth and um, like next month and husband's the only one. And if he is sick or something, no substitutes. Then she's at it alone, oh. which is like crazy, I think. I don't, I'm not a woman, so I don't well, know. I, I think but it's, like, sounds weird. I think it's ridiculous that anybody should die alone. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I think it's just, it's just upsetting. So when I see like, you know, uh, John Lewis did a lot of great things, but he can, he's able to have, so John Lewis is able to have hundreds of people at his, at his funeral. And you're telling me all these Americans died alone. Are you kidding me? Like I, I, I there's such a double standard. on it. It's just not, it's not fair in any, in any way or given sense. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me that if you're, if you're powerful and you know, you've done great things, you can have your big funeral where all the ex-presidents can come and they can do all that stuff, but if you're just you're just an average person, you just get to die alone, maybe with a video chat to say goodbye. Ugh. Like that's just it's sickening to me. That breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So what's gonna happen is that there's a lot of people, mental health wise, that are not gonna have closure, right, during this time with people that they really love. And we're gonna see the effects of that long term is my feeling. Um in in one way or another, I think there's going to be a lot of trauma-based work that needs to be done for people, whether they're introverted, extroverted, lost a job, staying at home, gave birth during a pandemic by themselves with no one there, didn't say goodbye to a loved one. There's going to be a lot of uh, mental health issues after this. I was going to ask you yeah. about that because that's, that's what seems scary to me. It's like um, <clears throat> the pandemic creates one whole set of issues, and then all of a sudden you have another whole set of issues because – you know, people don't have jobs now or, you know, they're worried about this next stimulus check or they're worried about the next unemployment check. And then there's so many things that are up in the air. I mean, anxiety, I bet anxiety, like diagnosing anxiety is going to go up tremendously because mm -hmm. I never have anxiety. And I feel like sometimes I get anxiety for no reason, which is weird because I'm not the type of personality to really have anxiety. Mm -hmm. So have you guys felt that at all? Uh, <laughs> it's a serious question. I don't like <laughs> I have. I have six children. I don't. I'm not anxious about nothing. Like it's just like you're the most uh, patient is, person I've ever met. This is by just the way. daily life. Uh, things are fucked up. <laughs> oh, look at this. The world is on fire. I'm just sitting there drinking my tea. No problem. I, it doesn't. I mean, I, I guess it should affect me more. It's not that I don't think it's serious. I do think. I, I absolutely think it's serious. And I, I wouldn't want to have COVID. And I wouldn't want anybody I know to have COVID. You know, I, I know at least one person who's died of it. Uh, one of my my sons, one of his best one of his best friends, that guy's father died, and he was probably Aww. only mid forties. You oh, know, wow. I don't think Damn. he was in terrible shape. Wow. You know, we knew another guy who was in terrible shape, and he survived it. So I don't I don't, I don't even understand the disease. Um, and it seems like it just whatever like I mean, the a different person, different genetics. Boom, you get all kinds of different symptoms and uh, mm -hmm. different severity. You know. Yeah. Uh, Mostly affecting those with, with some pre-existing conditions, but I don't know. Do you have a lot of people reaching out to you, Sindhu, just because you have a kind of a background in therapy and whatnot, asking for advice or? You know, that's, that's a really interesting question. Like, probably yes and no, because like most of, I would say the majority of my friends are also therapists and so we're, we're considered essential, right, during yeah. this time. And the thing that's like so funny about it is like, and this goes with nurses and doctors too, is like there's still people undergoing the pandemic too. Like 
they're still they still have feelings too you know like yeah they can perform the job duties that are, that are expected of them during a pandemic but they still have their own inner feelings in response to the pandemic so like the therapists that are treating the people with anxiety or adjustment disorder issues are still faced with anxiety themselves you know and just keeping that in check it's hard like it's a hard balance to strike um I think about like what is it gonna look like when you want to greet someone after it's safe like are people gonna hug again yeah that's really handshakes like it's um yeah like what is that <laughs> Ooh, weird I don't know I think I like your analogy. Just rip the bandit off. If you're going to be out there in the world, you just got to go with it. And eventually you can't let fear hold you back because I think it's just going to cause more issues in the Mm -hmm. end, you know, more family issues, more mental issues of your own, like your own self-help, not self-help, but your own uh, uh, self-health. And I think that's what's scary is because we don't ever tend to focus on ourselves anymore. I think we're so caught up in the social world that we like, portray what we want ourselves to be and not kind of who we really are and now everyone's locked in the doors and it's like you have to you have all this alone time now mm-hmm. so that's that's what worries me i don't know on um so did you what would you actually when you when you said you were a clinical therapist is that is that technically what you were yes yes mm-hmm. what you focus on was there a specific thing you actually focus on or did you cover a, a wide array of things so so for seven years, um, I worked specifically with um, kids that are on the IDD spectrum. Um, so they had like an intellectual disability or autism diagnosis, um, duly diagnosed with a uh, psychiatric diagnosis too. Like a mood disorder was pretty common, ADHD, that sort of thing. Um, and then from there, um, I moved specifically, and my passion is really in eating disorders. But I also have a, um, I'm a certified gender therapist for anyone that's uh, transgender and needs um, there's a letter of approval um, to move forward with the medical side of um, treatment. That's cool. So you've kind of covered a whole like gambit of, of things. That's that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. So you kind of see on um, so ADHD. Um, that's such a cool topic, and just just for the fact that like my parents used to give me Ritalin. I think we should hyper focus on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me squirrels, Jesse. <laughs> so, but I think that's uh, do you? So, how did you? Did parents or did school systems contact you about that? How did that kind of filter out? So I worked for a um, residential treatment facility and, you know, we get referrals from a lot of places, but schools definitely involved and um, it would be families. Um, I think it's hard, like, especially depending on the age of the child and the um, intellectual functioning level, um, because like if I were to open up a DSM, like technically right now, my son would probably meet all the criteria for that. What does DSC, what's, what's DSC mean? DSM. DSM. The diagnostic manual that we use. Okay. Um, and so like, I think there's, there's so many factors involved. And I think one of the biggest things with diagnoses of any kind, and this is where, you know, especially talking about the anxiety during pandemic, one of the things that um, I think is really important 
to distinguish is, is, is why, why would you give a label or a diagnosis? And as a clinician, it's more of like, just so I know, like maybe the symptomology I'm looking for, like the protocol of like treatment, but that it's not like a definition of a person, you know, which I think is so important because people very casually throw out terms. And so like right now, um, you know, someone could say I'm suffering from anxiety and my, my um, response would be, that would be completely normal given that we're in a pandemic, you know? Like yeah. there's a lot of factors to consider that like, okay, I'm feeling depressed. Well, you're locked in your home. You can't do any of the activities you used to enjoy. The things that brought you joy, you're, the things that you, you use as coping skills have been removed from you. So yeah, that would be a normal thing to experience. So really like taking in um, that there's more to it than just a label, you know, considering everything that's happened. Yeah, no, I think that we, we tend to label everything. That, mm-hmm. It's a big, I think it's a, it's a problem, especially with social media, because I think it's an easy, I think it's a quick way to say, here's a problem, we'll label it, and then it, we don't think about it again. Mm-hmm. I think it makes it quick. Um, what do you think, Andy? I wonder what all this will do for, there's that stigma that's been around um, mental disorders. So I wonder after this, when more people have ex- personal experience of mental disorders themselves, if that'll kind of help reduce the stigma that's um, kind of surrounding mental um, issues in, uh, in general. That'll be kind of interesting to see how it goes. Absolutely. So, there we go. Um, hey, I turned you up a little bit, Andy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Too low. <laughs> Too low. So I'll it's do funny. some screaming. I'll, I'll sc- <laughs> don't, don't scream. <laughs> um, but, no, I think it's it, that's a definitely an interesting thing to think about during, especially a pandemic, when do you, do you remember, kind of, so do you remember 9-11 at all? Absolutely. I mean, for <laughs> brown people, that was a big deal. So do you think, like, yeah. this pandemic is going to be, like, our kind of, not our 9-11, but, like, kind of just like 9-11? It has to be, right? Like, kind of like that staple? In, in what sense? In one sense, just like history, like, you know, like it's, it's, uh, cause that, that particular day, like everybody remembers where they were, you know, what happened, you know, I think everybody, I think I, I remember the day of what I was doing when, you know, every, the, the lockdown went into place, you know, I kind of remember that specific day, you know, what was going on. Cause it just affected me so dramatically. I, I think it will, but I think it will on our personal level, like, in you know, in our generation, but really if you, I mean, I hate to say this, but if you look at it like in a historical context, this pandemic will be like all the other pandemics, right? So like you'll still talk, maybe they'll still talk about it in the same way they talk about, you know, the 1918, 1919 Spanish flu, maybe, but even that killed it. That probably, even after this is done, it's probably going to kill at least three times the amount of people this one will. And who knows? I mean, we just don't know all the different pandemics we're going to have happen in our lifetime or over the next, say, 100 years, right? So I think eventually this won't even be like... <laughs> Like, so for our generation, big deal. Big grand scope. People are being, be, you know, there'll be 100 years from now, kids will be like, oh, it's like, it's like a paragraph. Flip the page. I, <laughs> you know? I bet, though, we'll have those things that it's like, oh, that was before the pandemic. Oh, that was before the pandemic. Like, handshakes or hugs. Like, oh, we don't do that anymore. Maybe not necessarily those things, but I bet there will be certain um, parts of our lives that'll we'll say that thing, I, say that often. I mean, I think they'll eventually, like, I, I don't believe in the whole new normal thing. I think eventually everything will kind of, 
I think people will get so tired of it, right or wrong. I think they'll get so tired of everything that things will just kind of go back to how it was eventually. Um, and maybe eventually there'll be a time when we're past this anyway. Maybe, maybe the vaccine will actually work, you know, and, and maybe enough people will actually willingly take it. That's a scary thing, too. That'll be uh, interesting to see how there that plays a, out. Yeah, there was a study that came out just like a, with this week, and it was saying a third of people already say even if the vaccine was free, they wouldn't take it. Really? <laughs> That's what, because there's so many people, dude, they're, everybody's freaked out thinking this isn't like maybe a government conspiracy, you know, yeah. and <laughs> is what what's Bill Gates and... <laughs> And Dr. Fauci, <laughs> what have all these people cooked up, right? I just don't think people, how, how does the government even contain information like that? And, that, and that's the problem, because I mean, like, as, as inept as the government is, like, <laughs> I, no, they, they, the government certainly does some shady shit, but yeah, as yeah. inept as they are, like, for them to pull all these strings together, it's like, <laughs> no. Like, I, mean, I still think they killed Epstein, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know about the rest of it. Well, I'm just thinking about this, though, like, um, People like people talk about how dumb Trump is, right? There's no way he could pull off a massive conspiracy. George mm. Bush couldn't even do it. Like, <laughs> and we all know how dumb he was. So it's like, um, but no, I just think it's uh, I think it's it's weird. It's a it's a weird thing to think of. And I wonder if this, like, we were talking earlier about what's the new norm. Like, how are we going to go meet mm -hmm. each other? And are we yeah. going to be in bubbles? And like, customers don't shake my hand anymore. It's like more of a kind of like a little fist bump or, yeah, or, or elbows, elbow. Elbow. Yeah. Um, I think there will be a new normal. I disagree with you, Jesse. You really believe that? I don't. Yeah. I don't know if I believe it. Andy's a pessimist. Don't 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 mind her. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you why. Um, I asked in what way because you mentioned specifically 9/11, and I'm brown. Yeah. My life yeah. to this day is different from 9/11 because I'm brown. I can see that. And then that that was how many years ago? Oh. I'm horrible oh, at math. 19. No way. Yeah, 2020. 20, September will be 19, September 1st, right? Or September 11th, sorry. September 11th, almost 19 years. Yeah. So, um, and I'm telling you this on so many levels. I I mean, we could literally do a podcast on all my brown person experiences that, why, that I learn after expressing them to my white friends are not normal experiences. But, like, I've been randomly selected in airports so many times that, like, at what point does it become not random selection, right? Like, because it's, like, a shocker if it's not randomly selected since that incident. So yeah. my life has not um, gone back since. I remember traveling before that. I was never randomly selected. And now I'm um, by so amazing i've never won any sort of lottery or drawing for a prize in my life ever since i was like young right but i like <laughs> you win all these things that's so amazing like i wonder how that happened <laughs> hey you win a free pat down <laughs> <laughs> yeah you win a free invasion of your physical space congrats you know it's yeah, to that be, point like i would when i said that's that's no, I agree with you. That's the that's the problem with stuff like the Patriot Act of kind of what we've been talking about. We've been per, per, uh, stuttering today. We've been perpetualizing this whole uh, <clears throat> fear mongering with terrorism and this other crap with uh, in the world, and it, all it does is create division. And that's kind of what we were we were talking about on our last podcast, where we were specifically talking about third party candidates like um, Andrew Yang or um, Jesse Ventura, because like they're so like against like. The Patriot Act and, and, and stuff like the TSA is ridiculous. 
Like, I, I'm not a big fan of TSA. I think I always get patted down when I go to TSA just because I always refuse to go through the scanner. <laughs> so, oh, I don't get cho- I don't get chosen. I specifically get chosen. I just I crave choose their touch, but uh, they don't they never want to touch me. You needed to do the pre-check then. I do need to do pre-check, but I just don't. I don't. Should we have to? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Should we have to do that? I mean, I don't know. I just. I, don't know. I think we're getting to a place now to where it's it's getting worse and specifically because we're creating these policies around things that we, you can't always prevent and at what cost do we prevent them? That's kind of what I'm, I'm scared at. So on your, uh, on your experiences, does that, do you feel like it's like interpersonal just, or is it more like when you like meet people out and about, or is it more, how do you feel like your experiences when you say kind of like being a Brown person, how does that affect you daily? Do you think? That's a really great question. I, um, well, so I was born and brought up in this country, but I was actually six when I realized I was brown, which is weird to say out loud, but it, it was um, in first grade. And the assignment, we were in like clusters of four, our desks, and the assignment was to draw a picture of something that you enjoy doing. And the other three kids picked up the peach crayon, and so I did too. Because, like, I just thought I was a kid. Like, I thought I was like everybody else. So you're, like, drawing, like, family and, like, or figurines or whatever. Like, you're drawing yourself. Yep. Doing an activity you enjoy. And the teacher came around, and she was like, um, oh, I'm sorry. I don't think you understood the assignment. You're supposed to be drawing a picture of something you, you're doing that you enjoy. And then it kind of hit me like I connected the dots and so I realized I was brown in that moment and like talk about like the most fucked up way to give someone a racial identity crisis of like that was it that was like how I figured it out and then she just walked right away right so I'm like picking up the brown crayon and I'm like okay so I'm not a peach we know this and um so that was the beginning of me realizing I was brown um it's a weird identifier by a teacher by the way Mm -hmm. that is very bizarre yeah it, 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 but it, it, but it's, I mean, I have countless examples of. Yeah, no, I don't, dis- I don't disagree with that. It's just like, what are people doing? Like, I don't understand why you would say, I don't know. Can I, you imagine a teacher? I'm like, if a parent would have been there and saw that teacher do that, that'd be like, dude, I mean, like you were really overstepping right now. Cause kids normally just don't see color. Like younger yeah. kids like that. That's like the white privilege that, that white people feel like they can say that. To teachers like to, i think they're that they can that they cannot um have a vo- more of a voice like there's layers to it to the to the teacher being able to say that to the child to the child you, you is that what you're saying like i think that um you know especially my parents because they were immigrants i think to some degree probably felt like they had to fall in line and adjust to the way things were done here so I, I don't expect them to um, stand up to a teacher came to this country. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, and we hear this all the time. You're in our country. Do things our way. So I think expecting um, an immigrant parent to stand up to a white teacher is not um, realistic. Do you feel like that's a pretty um, a rampant thing or is it? Does that happen like more than than I guess because I, I don't see it because I, I I grew up in a small town, you know what I mean? 
we only had one black person in our whole school. Um, and really, it was just he was just kind of like part of the school. Um, so really didn't deal much with that. And then college was so diverse as it came along that it was just kind of different. You know what I mean? It's just you just saw everybody in college. It's because the melting pot of college itself was just so diverse. And so really, my, my experiences were so limited in that aspect. Hold on one second. Comanche? No. Sorry, the dog's down here. <laughs> Um, but like, no, so when you, do you feel, do you feel like, uh, like your parents, like when they came over here, did they, cause you're first generation, right? I think I saw that on Facebook. Yeah. I'm, yeah I'm first in my entire family to be born in this country. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That was my grandpa. My grandpa was first generation. Yeah. So. It's, it's cool. And it's like, um, it's very hard to navigate, right? Cause you're bringing, um, you've got the burden of the, like the, the two cultures colliding and they don't necessarily have the same, um, ethics or morals or core values. Right. And so navigating that, um, because no one's done that before you is kind of the thing. So you're kind of like figuring it out for yourself because your, your whole experience is like your parents came over here when they're adults. So you're kind of experiencing it from a child to adulthood. So that kind of, is kind of, that kind of like transitioned your whole kind of experience. Um, so what do you think about stuff right now? Like as far as uh, the everything that's going with like the news media and whatnot, like kind of where do you lie with everything? Well, I don't feel safe. Um, I think people of color, you know, um, let me rephrase that. I'm, I'm not going to be speaking for every brown person. Speak for myself. So let me rephrase I, that. I think it's ridiculous that if, if, there's people that got to stop doing that too, like thinking that you speak for everybody, like when you're just offering an opinion. So, so. <laughs> I hate when people do that. No, you're. Matt, what do white people think about pumpkin pie? Right? Oh, I hate. I'm not a. I'm not a pumpkin pie fan. Don't ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> my brother. My brother is though. But no, I. I know pumpkin spice lattes though. We'll say you know my wife's pretty basic, so she loves them. <laughs> Right. So like, yeah, I guess I should start by saying that every brown person's experience is different. But I, I have, I mean, um, like, where do I start? I have so many stories of, um, I think probably the latest, I'll just go with like the latest example. Um, it was like four weeks ago. Um, I go, I went to Hy-Vee and I'm high risk because of my severe and chronic asthma. So I go like with all the high risk people, like at 6am to get groceries. And at that time, the only thing that they have open is the self checkout, which is a giant pain in the ass just in general. We all know that. Um, and there were other people using the self checkout and it was something I had scanned. And for some reason, um, it was like a bag of lettuce or something, but it didn't register on the scale so it like sent an alert, you know, like this huge dramatic thing, like beep, beep, beep. And the lady comes over and I said, <clears throat> I know what the issue is. Um, I didn't put the bag of lettuce in there soon enough. And I think it's also really lightweight. So like the scale calibration and like it didn't register it. But if you can just like you can see that it, it rang it up, like you can see it on the screen. So I've not like done anything wrong. And in front of other old white people that were also there. She literally scrolled through every single item and checked every single thing in my bag. And it was incredibly, incredibly humiliating. Um, it was 
degrading and embarrassing. Um, I explained to her several times, it's just the lettuce that didn't register. This was four weeks ago. I had coupons because, you know, um, I'm staying at home. I'm not working right now. I didn't even scan them at that time because I just wanted out. I don't want to stick around. It was horrible. So that was four weeks ago. Yep. Do you think those... So do you think those are... Um, it's And sometimes I have a hard time seeing it because I've... Like I told you earlier, like Monica's like one of the first white girls I've ever dated. And um, so sometimes I have a hard time seeing it just because <clears throat> like I'm so used to like being with different people and different cultures and just kind of listening to them and kind of their experiences and and hanging on. And I, some, I just look at it as ignorance. Like sometimes people are just so do they do you think it's a subconscious thing? Like and when you're looking at it from a therapeutical side, like or from that kind of like clinical side, do you see it as like a, an unconscious thing or is it how did how does it register, I guess, is a question to them like is like an inherently taught thing or is it just kind of like an unconscious thing is that like a family dialect like the person that was um like are you asking me like going through your bag yeah like do you think that was like a like an unconscious like i'm gonna check the bag a racial aggression yeah that was an aggression against me based on and on my appearance yes yeah and do you think it's like an unconscious or is it like a like she just did it like on purpose type thing or did, do you think she noticed because like, i think there's like two discussions like either like you don't notice that you're doing certain actions or uh, because it's an unconscious action and that is the argument for some of the white privilege or there's um inherent racism where you're doing something specifically in action towards a person based specifically on their skin color or gender or, or race etc um do you think it was, which one do you think it lies under? Do you think it was an inherent action or like kind of a subconscious action? Well, have, let me start with this. Have any of the three of you used a self checkout and had to have it? You? Yeah, I don't buy, I don't buy, uh, I don't buy, what do you call it? Um, Food, lettuce. lettuce and shit like that because it always never registers so i just i don't yeah the, the thing i never anytime i have items that that sometimes won't register i don't go through the self-checkout but every <laughs> other time i do go through the self-checkout because i don't eat as healthy as i should and, and most of the stuff i have will register <laughs> like because i know it's a lot of the, but when they do anytime that happens they come over I, i've had them like take my item and kind of look at my stuff but do not not necessarily really go through everything just kind of mm-hmm. they just kind of glance at it and they glance at me and some I hate to, I don't want to be a jerk, but sometimes these people are not overly intelligent, so they can't figure it out very quickly, so they'll be like, okay, and eventually they move on. It's like, <laughs> sometimes it's like, um, I can't even make that joke. Mm-hmm. Never mind. I was going to make a comparison to Idiocracy, but you guys still haven't seen it. We haven't seen Idiocracy. Have you seen have you Idiocracy? Seen, have you seen Idiocracy? I haven't, but she scrolled no. through 40. Well, no, yeah, we're... That's, a, that's a huge amount of items. No, so, he's trying to make a joke about a movie we haven't yeah, seen Yeah, because, yet. well, in that movie, there's like, you know, they're, they're, the, the people there are extremely dumb who work at Costco, right? <laughs> and, and, like, I, I guess I don't... It's crazy that, that somebody would do that because it's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It sounds extremely stupid. Maybe it is... I mean, maybe she was uh, intentionally targeting her. I'm not sure. Was it, a, was it a male or a female or was it an old white lady? It was an older white female and... This, you know, that's just, just like a small example, but like, I think one of the biggest things is that she literally went out of her way because she didn't trust 
me. I'm telling her this whole time, it's the bag of fucking lettuce that didn't register, and I wouldn't even use your self-checkout, except that it's my only fucking option, because it's 6 a.m., and there's not another cashier person here to actually scan my items. Like, I have no other choice, and, like, now I'm getting punished, and all these people are watching. You know, it just, like, ends up being, like, snowballs into this huge thing, and I'm like, I left feeling like a criminal, so, I mean, like, it's just weird. And I mean, and then it's just like, it's not just that. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think a lot of examples, but so when you're a person of color, it, it's hard for me to explain how you can feel the difference. Um, I can feel a difference when I'm being treated a certain way because somebody else is stupid or I'm being treated a certain way because of my appearance and people of color are born with that and know that unfortunately because it's an instinct we've had to have that so, white people have not had to have yeah and it, well and i think predominantly here um because there's what is it like is it 60 percent of the country's white yeah so 60 percent white so i can understand that so i guess my question was um not about like the intelligence of anybody, but like so when you talk about white privilege and you talk about um, unconscious bias or unconscious, uh, it's called unconscious bias. Well, like people say right versus unconscious bias versus like inherent racism. Like, where do you think she fell on that line? Do you think it was something an inherent action or something that was a subconscious action? Not not that it makes her actions any good or better. I'm just curious on how like like how that how how what you think because like obviously you're um, very intelligent and like you've You've helped people with therapy, and and you probably more than uh, a lot of us have that like kind of inclination to understand like how people think in a way type of, and if that makes sense. So, and I know there's a couple arguments about it. Oh, this is great! I would say it was conscious because why wouldn't you trust a customer with 48 items who's telling you this is what didn't register, and the bill amount you can see and you can visually see the amount of food that's in the bags, why would you go through those extra steps? And a bag of lettuce, FYI, is like $3. (laughs) What was I like, really? What was I, like, if I was gonna steal anything, I would steal the diaper. (laughs) (laughs) For real. That's like $40 right there. Like, lettuce is not what I'm going to be stealing. So, no, I think it was very conscious. I I definitely do think it was conscious. And just by, you don't look like a person that would steal anything anyhow. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Just like, you're so bubbly and like nice. And I've met you before. But like, it's just like, I just wouldn't see like, I wouldn't like hone in on you as a person that would steal anything. Like, or Mm -hmm. if I was trying to look out for people, like, which is dumb anyhow. Like, I don't know. Right, like, if I'm honestly, like, hey, it's 6 a.m., and that's the other thing. Like, I'm, it's 6 a.m., I'm, like, look, the things in my bags, like, clearly indicating I'm a mother. Like, why would I be stealing a bag of lettuce over all things? And I'm just telling you honestly, hey, this is what jacked up the sensor. Like, it was completely unnecessary. It caused a scene. It was embarrassing. And at the end of the day, the person that, that affects is me. As a criminal... As a criminologist, I can tell you, most criminals are sleeping at that time. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so, uh, we had talked earlier before this, and we, uh, um, and I was talking to, uh, 
Andy and uh, Jesse, I'm like, dude, you're gonna like her. She's she's super laid back, and every time I've met her and um, and her husband, like, they've always been super cool. Um, but like, so when you're on this, you talk about so how do you what do you think a, a fix for that is? Like, is it just bad parenting, or is it like hanging around the bad people? Like, how do you what do you, I don't I think that's the hard thing right now because you see a lot of protest. And I don't know if the protests help or it just makes more people anxious to talk to people of color or if it – I don't know. It's like kind of like this weird mixture right now um, just because everything's so out, out in the open. So what, what do you think? Oh, I love that question. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, so our son is biracial, and I'm going to have to have a talk with him about what he's probably going to face in life. So if I have to have a talk with him about the shit he's going to face from white people – then white people can have a talk with their kids about the shit that's going on. That's my stance on it. They need to have those conversations. And it's never like, oh, I'm worried how it's going to affect my white kids' point of view of people of color. Well, you know, I worry about how my son of color is going to be treated. Let's make it an even playing field. Let's put it out there. Let's all talk about it. It's uncomfortable, so we haven't talked about it. And look where we've come. Look, look, look what's happened. Have a conversation. Black people have it the worst on the spectrum of people of color. I'm not going to say that I have it the worst because I don't believe so. They have it. They have it the worst historically. And being honest with children about that, I think is very, very important. You might do your friend as this, that your friend has been through different life experiences it's the same. It's it's encouraging empathy. It's encouraging them to view people in ways other than what their schema is. You know, it, it's it's an important conversation that needs to be had. That's how we change the world. That's how we make change here. So let's talk about the conversation because <clears throat> I think that the conversation has a little bit of stigma to it because just from the fact that um, how that conversation transpires and how that conversation is going. So when you start the conversation, I think sometimes a lot of, if we're talking about um, the black community and it's like, oh, we can't trust cops or we can't do this. Like, I think, how do you structure the conversation so you make it, um, uh, so you make it to where it's, it's in good standing and you're not like scaring them or like, you know what I mean? How do you do it in a way to where it's like, so you don't, so they don't see white people, they're not scared or they don't see police officers, they're not scared of them or they don't disrespect like kind of what's going on like how do you have that conversation and mold it into a situation to where it's um kids are uh gonna take it and and be good like how do people do that like because you've had that, that experience with talking to children white kids or kids of color no both like both both of them just the conversation with kids in general two different yeah. conversations Abs- absolutely no absolutely but like how do you okay so let's just take it from a color standpoint and you're talking about and I don't think I've heard, heard anybody talk about this. Like, how does that conversation go? It's like, hey, you may experience these things or like, you know, because I don't think that conversation's done very well because no one talks about that conversation. No one talks about the conversation to have with the kids because normally when you hear about it, something bad's happened in the news or something um, has gone viral. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we just tell our kids, you know, to be careful. But how do you how do you start that conversation with your child, I guess? Like, so it's productive and it's so they're um, and they can like. So you're not putting them in fear, I guess, is a way to say it. So that's actually incorrect. People of color have that conversation. We've had it. I know they do. I'm saying that I'm saying the I'm saying the media doesn't talk about that. Like they don't like 
I don't hear people asking like, so for example, you said you're going to talk to your son, right? They don't talk about in depth like how that conversation structured. Like, how do you? But you said you're going to have to have that conversation. Like, okay, what age do you have it? Um, when do you think it's a good time to talk to him about it? Like, how does that structure go? So you, like they're not scared or you know what I mean? Like that's what I'm talking about. Not that the conversation doesn't happen, but the structure of the conversation itself. Well, I and this is a really um, I saw this and it really sort of resonated with me, but. Um, I'm in a mom's group and one of the black mothers posted, at what point does my cute black child become a scary black man? So that right there, I think is something to note. I think preparing ahead of time because that, that transformation occurs at a different age for each person, right? So, you know, a cute little kid becomes a threat at a different age, depending on genetics and a lot of factors. So I think teaching them ahead of the game so that they know how to respond and what to expect when there's police involvement or a white lady at the self-checkout. I mean, who knows? But it comes in various forms, you know? We're not looking at just an overt aggression from police it's day-to-day microaggressions too you know like i'm gonna have to prepare my son for what he has to say when someone asks him where he's from and how many times have the three of you been asked that and when i say where you're from i'm not talking about like in a casual conversation i mean like you're legit just running a fucking errand and somebody goes out of their way to ask you are you from here like, as in this country, and you say, yes, because genuinely I was born in Wisconsin. And then they say, no, I'm sorry, I meant where are you from? Doing something completely, like, just genuinely casual, right? None of the three of you have experienced that. My son's going to experience that. So I got to prep him for that. So there are all these conversations that have to be had before the experience because if they're not had it makes the experience I think that much more uncomfortable and terrifying for the child because for me personally and I can only speak for myself because I you know I'm not one to be like hey parents of children of color this is what you need to do because everyone's got their own thing yeah but for me personally the way I would like to do it is I want my son to know here's what I can say when I hear this because I think the scariest thing is not knowing how to respond something and feeling unarmed yeah well and i think that you know leads to escalation and um with both sides of parties and um i i think de-escalation is like a thing that's lacking in most people one of the things i've always learned and i've read some good books one of my favorite books is how to win friends and influence people and one of the main principles of that book is listen to understand and not to respond and i think if if no conversation have to be had if people just follow that basic principle like generally be interested in other people and listen to understand not to respond but i think humans in general are so bad at that and i think you take into another aspect um not even race but just the fact that kids today are so socially inept just from the fact of internet in general i was gonna say that yeah i think that's caused social skills to tank horribly uh because you don't have conversations on the internet you you speak to be heard and not necessarily not everybody but like um, yeah, speak to be heard and you don't really, 
listen to what other people are saying. Is your dad first generation or is he Andy? I never asked you that. So he, no, I think that's my grandma. Your grandma? Okay. Mm -hmm. Or wait, my grandma's first generation. Grandma's first generation? Yeah. So Andy's quarter Asian over here. It's it's funny. Um, But no, um, but no, we, we think about it all the time when we talk to, when we talk to people and um, I just never think about it. I just, I'm so used to just talking to people and just want to know their personality and know who they are. Um, But I have never asked somebody, like, I can't imagine seeing somebody, you know, unless they have, like, a crazy accent, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, man, like, you just know right away that, like, oh, I bet they have a cool experience. But I've never been, I've never walked up to them and been like, hey, where are you from? Like, like those no. people, I think those people have <laughs> mental issues. Yeah. Like, they must have mental that issues. It's a weird thing to just randomly walk up to someone and ask that, like, it's... I, I, I totally, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, no. I, I agree, it's, it's weird, which makes it even weirder that it's happened so many times right because like we collectively agree that's like an well first of all why people never ask each other where they're from which is why I think maybe if it sounds weird to white people to hear that this is like a question that's genuinely asked but it's asked it's not actually you know I was thinking about this the other day it's not really asked of anybody except brown people because, like, no one asks a black person where they're from because they just assume it's Africa. No one asks Asian people. They just assume China. Like, but brown people get asked it. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, of all yeah. the races, I think we probably get asked more than anyone else where we're from. And it's like, I never know. Like, there's two parts of me. Like, I could give them the, the true answer, which is Wisconsin. Or I could give them the answer they want, which is India. Which then I'm like, why the fuck would I share this personal information about my family with someone that I don't even know and I don't even care? Like, and I'm like, do I like, should I make up something really to throw them for a loop? You know, like, it's just. <laughs> I would. Yeah. You know, I was born in, uh, you know, Russia. <laughs> something weird. <laughs> so what have you, what have you said to uh, these people or have you just like kind of ignored them? No, I'll say Wisconsin. And then um, it'll be a pause. This is like literally like this conversation has happened so many times. It'll be a pause. And then like a slight uncomfortable chuckle. And they're like, oh, I meant where are you from? Oh, that's even worse. Repeated the exact same question. But you emphasize the word from. And so now you're expecting a different answer. So you're asking me what my ethnicity is. Is that what you're asking me? Because that's like a weird thing to ask someone do you, you don't know. Do you think it's people don't know how to have conversations? It, do you think it's racial or is it just like people just don't understand how to <laughs> see somebody different from them? Now, let me ask you this. Do you experience this outside of Kansas or is this like, like if you were in New York, do you think it'd be a little bit different? Like, but we're kind of in Kansas and the melting pot's a little bit different. So I did my undergrad in New York. I'm at Syracuse University, and no one asked me where I was from then, or if they did, and I said Kansas, they'd say, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Kansas does have some good things going for it. You know, I've lived in Vegas and Phoenix and been out all over the place, so Mm -hmm. Um, it does have some good things going for it. I I would not want to be in New York right now. It's just... No. 
No, so. they would they would say, um, I'm sorry. And then they would also ask me if I'd ever been cow tipping. That was another question I got a lot during undergrad. But no, I, I was never asked um, for the origin of my brownness there. So it could be, that's a very valid point. It could be the um, par partially, you know, where I'm located. I think it's people just don't know. I, I honestly believe and genuinely believe that people don't know how to communicate because we're not taught to communicate. And that's kind of what I was talking about before, about conversations with children. It's not that we don't have conversations, but a lot of the conversations we have are talking points. And um, that's the main reason, you know, I we started a podcast is because it's like, well, what, it, what, what happens when a group of people get together that have no agenda and they just want to talk to each other? Ooh, it's scary. Like, <laughs> like you know, I mean, I, I think it's that doesn't happen. And it's like, there's no, okay, oh, I have to get my 30 minutes. I have three minutes. And I have three minutes on CNN, and I've got three minutes to ask to do a specific question, and I'm going to get my question across. I'm going to get my point across versus an unedited, like, cool conversation about, hey, what are your experiences? How do you see life? You know what I mean? Because I guarantee you, you can go to the next white person, next brown person. It's, it's all going to be different. And that's cool that you say that and you acknowledge that because that m makes sense. I'm not the spokesperson for all brown people, so I, I can only, like, express how what, my life um, – has been like and what I've experienced but like one of the biggest questions I have for the white people that ask me where I'm from 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 yeah <laughs> what were you like gonna do with that information like why was that so I've always wondered that like why was that so important for you to know like are these often guys your age no it's more often females like it's weird yeah because I could see, like, if it was guys your age, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> they can't think of anything else. So they're just like, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm not sure how to approach you. Hey, where are you from? And you look at them like, oh, like side-eyed. And they're like, oh, I think I fucked up. <laughs> I, think I, I think I messed up here. But, but. I love that you, that you posed that. So now if any old white women... Um, ask me that. I think the reply then is I'm going to ask, I'm going to say, are you hitting on me? That's just going to be how I respond. <laughs> oh, man, you, really may not like that. you may not yeah. like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, you, you know what? But I, that, I love your question, though. Like, what do you want to do with that information? Like, can we please find that out? Like, because it is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered. I've always wondered. Or like, you know, what are you? Like what, why is it so, I, I'm guessing if I had to guess, it's because it's more comfortable to be able to like categorize people, I don't know, or things or label things. I mean, this kind of ties back into like the beginning of what we talked about, but like labeling, I don't know. Is there a comfort in knowing? Humans like, humans like patterns, right? Like we're very, like we latch on to patterns and maybe that does help us kind of focal or uh, not focal but like focus on okay you know i met this person today like i don't i don't think like that so i have a hard time conceptualizing mm -hmm. that but if we're a pattern society we live in patterns we act in routines um maybe people have to rationalize things and we don't have conversations like this so people have a hard time under because i think everybody's afraid of being labeled you know you're gonna be labeled a racist or you're gonna be labeled xyz you know what i mean if people are terrified of labels right now and I think if we got away from labeling stuff and just focused on having actual general conversations with people, a lot of this stuff would transform itself, you know? Um, 
I don't know how you feel about that, but I think it's we 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 need to get away from that. But I want to be um, labeled. I want to be recognized in some way for being called. I want to be for my color. Being, can you guys hear me? For some reason, it froze. You're you're okay. You're good. Now you're good. There you go. Um, I want to be viewed for my color. I don't want to be invisible. Uh, I don't want this colorblind bullshit. I want to be seen um, for who I am, just as I as as you are seen for who you are. So yeah, I I think it's 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 kind of a weird bound. How do you how do you bind those two together though? Like how do you not label somebody and then like I, I guess how do you bridge that gap? What's the what's or a good not way to have do that? Like oh god, you're fine. If you've got a relationship with someone and their culture and their ethnicity and their religion and their whatever their identifiers are, right? Because everyone has identifiers. That somehow becomes incorporated into your relationship and you acknowledge those parts of them. So it it should be acknowledged. Um, I want people to know, like, friendship-wise or relationship-wise that I'm taking in things in my world from my brown lens point. I don't want that to be ignored. On the same level, I don't want a random person to ask me where I'm from from that doesn't have a relationship with me because I feel it's inappropriate and that doesn't happen to people that are white. White people don't get asked that by people they don't know. Yeah, there's so many of us. I think there's so many. I can't say I don't want to say us, but there's so many white people in America. I think every like kind of like black people. You just assume black people are from here or they're they're from Africa. You know, I think there's that common ignorance. Like, or you assume Hispanic people are from Mexico, which there's a bunch of countries where Hispanic people come from. Like, um, I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's, um, and I've ran into that just uh, work wise and whatnot. And I think that it's a hard. I think people. Some kind of it's like okay, you we hear. I think sometimes it's media driven just by the fact that like we hear about Mexico, Mexico, Mexico a lot of times, or we hear about like um, slavery a lot in in the African slave trade. And so, at a young age, we fail to conceptualize that like people like that when you see a color, like you just automatically kind of tone it to that. Like we're kind of taught that early on, you know. We hear about slaves, so we think Africa. We hear about we hear about Mexico a lot because it's our neighbor, it's our southern border, and so we just think about we don't know about El Salvador or you know Brazil or we do, but we don't think about people coming here from those countries. And there's and especially in Kansas, you know what I mean. Especially in, definitely in Kansas, but in New York, you see a lot of different cultures, or Chicago, or you know L.A., you know some of these huge metropolitan cities where there's so much diversity, it's kind of like crammed in your face in a way, which is probably why they tend to be more liberal too, um, just because you're, you're, you're forced to deal with more people than what normally happens. And some people like it, some people don't. But I, think, I, was just, I guess I, how do you bridge that gap to where people just don't come up to you and ask you where you're from? I think people need to, people need to learn how to have a conversation. If they want to know where you're <laughs> yeah. from, like, <laughs> don't, don't lead with that. Like, le- I don't know. Yeah. It's, some old ladies just... I've never seen a white person and been interested to know where they're from. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, that's not, like, the first thing I want to know about. Like, I guess, I mean, where are you from? Like, are you from around here? Like, are you just visiting? Like, something, you know, like, to that degree. But I've never been like, hey, I want to know where your ancestors are from. What percentage 
of you is Swedish from Denmark, whatever other European country runs in your family history. But like, it's, it's also really funny. Cause I always feel like what people are always so excited to tell you when they find out what their like lineage is. Like I'm 16% this, you know, like, it's just like, they just, they're, they're very excited to know where they're from. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. That's my wife. I'm not going to lie. My wife is a 23 and me person. Like she did this whole family tree and she tracked like all the lineage. And I think some people are like just obsessed with knowing history and like knowing kind of like where you come from. Um, in a way it's kind of cool just because you kind of see how, um, the world develops in that way. And it kind of teaches you like, um, for example, like Vikings, you know, the Saxons coming in on Rome and how like Rome fell and like how Rome like pretty much predominantly shaped the entire world with like the Silk Roads and the trades with China and how spices came and like all that stuff to Rome. And I think some of those ancestral things like are kind of cool to think about, but it doesn't trickle down into somebody specifically coming up to I think people don't know how to have conversations. And I think at young ages, we're not taught like specifically about conversations. Like we're taught kind of like black and white because we rush through think, Hey, Jen Ed, you're going to do this, 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 you know, and, and taught it, this math that we're never going to use again. <laughs> well, I just think that it's a very basic learning. And I think that shows like very basic conceptual adulations of like, what I think we don't, I, I made put it phrase it this way. We should be focusing more on teaching people how to socialize with each other and actually have like intrinsic conversations more so than some of the math that you learn, because if you're not going to be an engineer, you shouldn't learn about that. But there should be at least a, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday block on, you know, human interaction and stuff like that. Because I, I think that more people would be more out for the world. I don't know if that makes sense. It's kind of hard to put it all into like one category, but I don't know. On your, when you feel like uh, you want to be um, known for you, do you feel like uh, you have a hard time just here? Like when you when you were, did you like when you were out in New York, for example, did you feel like safer or not for safer, but like did you feel like more able to express yourself? You know, that's a really great question. I know that when I, oh, you're good. I, I hit the camera. Okay. I know that when I was in New York, um, I felt like I got way less questions about my culture and brownness because more people there were exposed to other brown people. So it wasn't, so maybe it is like a Midwest thing. I don't know. I mean, that, we're talking about, let's see, I went to, that was 2005. That was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for me to sort of remember what that felt like then. Um, I think I'm just more vigilant and kind of like conscious of it now as an adult than I was then. Because I think also like for everybody that is a person of color, you go through a racial identity process where you go through different stages of awareness, okay? And, like, one of the biggest things is realizing that some of your life experiences aren't common with people that are white, that they're not common experiences that everybody goes through. And you don't necessarily um, realize that unless you have conversations with white people who are like, wow, that's weird, or that's fucked up. 
or that shouldn't have happened to you, or that doesn't make sense, or I've never had that happen, or, you know, I could go on and on. So, like, it's, 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 yeah, it's a process. And I think, um, you know, like, one of the things that my parents immigrated to this country to give us a better life, um, I don't think that they necessarily, like, prepared me for everything that I would face because they didn't know themselves everything and my dad has like you know he was um he originally was a grad student at UMKC when he first came to this country and this is really messed up but he was unfamiliar with the like public transport system and buses and you know he just just came to this country and he just told me the story that after he came to this country shortly after that it was off truce. He got onto the bus and he just took the first available seat. And there was a white woman that was sitting there like next to him. And she literally screamed no in his face. So he just got off. And this was in the late seventies in Kansas city. Yep. yep. So, um, so you're probably, yeah. Cause it's what 64 was the civil rights act. So Kansas probably has a lot of catching up to do even back then. <laughs> yeah. Probably <laughs> still have more catching up to do. Now, I, I do think I was asking, um, uh, um, I was having a conversation about this too. What do you think about like kids that are born um, now in 2020 or kids that are, you know, 10 or 12 now? Because I know a lot of people uh, with their kids. Do you think kids are becoming rest, less, 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 and less uh, racist? Or not racist. I shouldn't say racist. That's a bad term to say. Um, but do you think that, like, what you're experiencing now will go away just because of the conversations that are being had? Like, how does that go away? Like, how does, how does this go away without stepping on your identity in a way? Like, how does it, like, in a perfect world, just kind of cohabitate? Like, or is there always going to be some kind of tension? That's a really great question. This is just my opinion. You're fine. No, it's just, we're just talking I here. Don't, but I think having open and honest conversations that are real with, with kids, as a parent, that's your duty. Um, on both sides of it, the conversation will sound different for parents with children of color, but white people really need to step it up. They've really got to step it up. They need to have conversations with their white kids because... Um, the people in power are the ones that have the power to change. And it's not our people's um, job to educate and train and explain to white people how to be better. Um, that has to come out of effort. Um, conversation that I have to have with my kid is going to be about you know, these are all the questions you might get asked, and these are some responses that you can give. Um, that being said, there are other people of color that are different than us and really educating and preparing him for that. And I think nothing good happens when there's no conversation at all. So having no conversation is like the most dangerous thing to me. Like not even talking about it or acknowledging it or acting this colorblind that people of color hate that phrase because we want we this part of who we are like I don't want to be seen as not brown because it's part of who I am that being said I want to be treated the same way you would treat 
anybody else and approached in a way that makes sense when you talk to me about my race, which is personal. Just as I would approach you about a personal issue in a sensitive way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's... You and be like, um, are you, so what are you, Methodist? Or, you know, like, that's like a weird, like, that's an identifier. But I would never just ask you that. Are there... Are there still Methodists, though? <laughs> yes, there are. are there? <laughs> no offense to Methodists out there. <laughs> uh, in McLeod. But no, we grew up in uh, this really small town, and there is the Methodist church there, but there's like five. It, it's funny, for a town of 600 people, there's like five churches. I always thought that was weird. Mm-hmm. That's like too much church. Mm-hmm. Is like way too much church. Uh, um, would you say that there needs to be um a certain level of color blindness like under i'm specifically i guess talking about the law like the law needs to be colorblind would you say that's accurate or how do you feel about that can you give me an example what you mean by that so like um the law um say two people one one person's black one person's white they commit the same crime um they should be prosecuted the same and not necessarily by have it, have race have any sort of factor that goes into the decision. Are you talking about like just like sentencing guidelines and whatnot? Yeah, I like prosecuting and stuff like that. So like the law should be colorblind for sure, or at least I think. Yeah, no, I would. I I think that's the ultimate ideal that you want. Um, just for the basic fact of um, if we're talking about criminality, like for sure, hundred percent, because like you're never going to win anything in criminality. Um, we do already have stuff like affirmative action. Um, I think there's certain steps that we've taken since 1964 to right wrongs. <clears throat> and I think the country is just going to continue to keep doing those things and keep growing in a way. Um, and how that shapes out, how that looks, um, is kind of a crazy different conversation. But um, I think criminality-wise, definitely, is, is you have to be colorblind because then it, the justice system doesn't work. It, because it, you can't be biased under and have a, and have a law. Like, laws have to be unbiased, like, mm-hmm. purely unbiased, as far as, like, and I think that's, we're trying to get there. <laughs> There's still some things that are going on now. Um, yeah. Specifically, you know, um, with, in, I'm a big, just so, you, uh, Jesse knows this, but, and Andy knows this, but I'm a big, I'm pretty, um, uh, what do you call it, um, pretty progressive with criminology and and how we should, run our criminology system and how we should incarcerate people versus incarcerating versus rehab reform and um, recidivism rates, especially with all criminals, whether black, white, green, blue, like all criminals, recidivism rates are terrible. And um, I think it's a dirty kept secret that, um, that they're making money off of us specifically. Like I'm talking, when I say us, I'm talking about all taxpayers. Um, They're, they're making money off of us. And so, when you talk about like being colorblind, I think the only way that you do the law is you've got to stop arresting a whole bunch of people for non like violent crimes. And just and specifically, if you do that, I think you'll see a lot of the racial tensions and um, a lot of the petty bullshit go away. Honestly, because a lot of the stuff that you see between interactions with police officers, a lot of it's petty. It's just oh, this guy had a counter for twenty, and it's like he's high on something. You know what I mean? It's not like. This guy's robbing a bank, you know what I mean? Because no one, like, he's doing armed robbery. I mean, it's it's a lot of petty, um, 
day-to-day stuff that police have interactions with and police are just arbiters of the law they're just they and they they follow specific guidelines and that leads into bad interactions because again um they don't have that social construct i think a lot of times so i don't know what do you think sindhu on that well a couple different things one i'm just like so confused like what training and education do people complete to become a cop i feel i feel like they need a lot um, yeah, no, exactly. 100%. I'm a therapist. I've spent thousands upon thousands of dollars and went to school for eight years after high school. Not to mention the amount of money of clinical supervision, direct client hours, uh, continuing education units, paying the Kansas Behavioral Sciences Review Board to maintain a licensure. Um, and for what? To heal people? To help people? meet their goals whatever that may be and what do cops do like i don't know what train i honestly this is an honest question i don't know what all the training is involved i don't know if they do continuing updated training i don't know if they have they don't the the funding is not there like and so we talk about like yeah so it's a big issue and the thing is like a lot of police officers suffer from uh ptsd or like, or they'll go into a situation or they're, 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 a lot of police officers are normal human beings, right? They go through anxiety and normal day stressors and then they take on this job where they might lose their life and they might, all these things kind of like compile into actions. And there's a really good podcast with Joe Rogan and um, I can't remember her name now, but she's a clinical, she's a clinical psychologist and she specifically, um, what she does is she, um, so uh, I did my internship with the police department and you do steps. You go through steps and the first step is uh, you take a test and then you pass a test and you do your physical test and then they do what called oral boards and then you meet with um, a group of uh, individuals and they ask you questions and then after that you do your polygraph and then once you pass your polygraph they do a psychological exam and then if you pass your psychological, or I'm sorry, they do the background check where they go through like your background and extensively go through your background and they try to weed people out. And then they do a psychological exam. Well, the problem what they're finding is that people like our police officers will have an experience and then they don't get checked. Like for example, like say that you're in, you're in an officer involved incident and something happens and that right afterwards, you go through your um, mandatory, you take like three days off or whatever it is, and if you leave of absence, and then you immediately talk to the psychologist, the police psychologist, and then no one follows up after that's over. So that may go on for a week. And then they will diagnose you and say if you're fit for duty or not fit for duty. But the problem is they don't keep continually follow up on that. They don't follow up with the officers that have something. And, and then a lot of officers don't want to go to the psychologist because they don't want it because this is their livelihood and they don't want to be seen not fit for duty because they're afraid that they're, we stigmatize mental health in this country, I think, um, and they're afraid of losing their jobs. So psychology on the forefront of policing is very, it's, I don't think it's talked enough about. I don't think that psychologists get enough credit for how, um, and therapists, how much they are a great influencer for police officers, because I think psychologists themselves are stigmatized in the policing community because they make a determination on whether you're going to have or not have your job. And so it's hard for people, it's hard for officers to even go and have that conversation like, hey, I'm going, I'm struggling with this. This is how I feel. I see an individual and then I've had this experience and then it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, halting, it's hindering my, what I'm going through. And instead of working through that, 
they they go off the rails and we see what happens. We see different situations play out where they can't de-escalate a situation. Because the main job of an officer is to de-escalate stuff. You know, they roll up into a situation, their main job is to de-escalate. So specifically from that side of things, um, we need more funding. We need we need more psychologists. We need more people like you to have those discussions with officers and get more um, therapists involved in policing because it's it's and help weed out the bad guys because there's definitely bad cops. I don't think anybody ever admits mm-hmm. that. Um, but I, I think that's a very undertalked point is that therapy and policing is kind of seen as a bad thing. Nancy Panza. Nancy Panza. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should look her up. She's really good. That yeah. that whole podcast with Joe Rogan is very, very good. Yeah, and I think it's um pretty fucking scary that someone with mental health issues, completely armed, going into a situation with potentially lethal weapons, um, and then um, you have what you call the healers in a society that are made to jump through 8 billion hoops just to provide talk therapy it, it seems the priorities are not correct they're that, not excuse me but I, I don't know it's like how do you get that and i think that's the thing is we got to take the stigma away from it we got to have more of a conversation about mental health because having a, having anxiety or having you know a mental health issue is, is fine but you got to be able to work through it can you work through this can you work through this and go back to your job yes or no mm-hmm. i mean like i mean i don't think it's i don't think it's black and white but i think it's you got to be able to work through those scenarios and people don't because it's stigmatized they're mm-hmm. so afraid of losing their livelihood or providing for their kids you know or providing for their family and it's like um and she talks about it she does way more justice to it than i'm going to do mm-hmm. obviously because she's uh, very very um, well educated and she has direct experience with it um but for people out there that want to kind of like dive into that specific question it's the way she talks about it and she's very unbiased um with it you know because she's obviously she works for the police department but she kind of goes through her experiences with police officers and how the bad carrots or bad apples or what do you call them i said carrots i don't think there's bad carrots but bad apples get <laughs> introduced in there you know how apples got dragged into it bad carrots we should just we should make that a term bad carrots <laughs> <laughs> i like it <laughs> they're orange <laughs> i guess well never mind. what say what do you got i i was gonna say i think apples uh, new nickname Bad carrots. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Jesse? No, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree on all that stuff. So I, I didn't really have anything to say to add to it because I mean, you know about it more about it than I do anyway. Um, I think, but yeah, uh, I don't have anything to disagree on on that. Um, Jay could talk. Yeah, he. Uh, my husband's a physical therapist uh, here in Kansas City, and he's talked to several cops, and one of them told him that the, like, passing rate on the test, like, they've lowered their standards substantially because nobody's coming to be a police officer. And I'm sure now that's even worse, which is not, it's just going to escalate the situation. Yeah, or we're we're going to be, like, and I I think we need to get away from, I'm a big fan of getting away from city policing and getting more into the county policing. And so, like, um... There's too many cooks in the kitchen almost. Like you dissolve like a city police department and then you expand it into a county police department. So it becomes what's called a consolidated police department. So you know how you, you have like Overland Park Police Department or Lenexa PD, they would all be one police department because it'd be Johnson County Police Department. And I think by you have more resources that way and you're able to affect a larger group of officers and then have those conversations and the training's better. And standards I, are more consistent. Think about it, you have two different chiefs. And like, so say there's an incident, right? Say 
you know, they arrest Cinder, like, they go up to her, and the guy calls, the lady, the old lady calls the cops on her because she has that lettuce, right? And she thinks it's stealing the lettuce. The officer comes and, her, and falsely arrests her, but it doesn't get reported, stuff like that. I mean, but the, with more uh, ability to report stuff, and then we get people off of, and I think another thing that's not talked about, um, how things are reported, too, is what are called uniform crime reports. And those are reported to the FBI. And there's things called NIBRS, too, which is a national incident-based reporting system. And NIBRS is what we want to get all police departments. There should be an executive order by Trump to make sure that all police departments switch from UCR to NIBRS. Obama should have done this a long time ago. Because what that does is, so uniform crime reports, so example, if there is a murder and then there is like a rape, they just report the murder. They don't report everything that happened in the incident. The uniform crime reports are very clunky. They don't report everything. Versus NIBRS, NIBRS will report everything that happened, whether it was a larceny, whether it was um, an armed robbery and um, a murder. It would report all of that. So our statistical reporting would be way better than it is now. And you can still see not, if you go to the um, FBI.org, you can still see those statistics, but I think that that would help us too. And that is, the way, the much, how much money the government has, we kind of suck at basic things. It's very frustrating. The government is inept at a lot of things, e- effectively executing things. <laughs> but no, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's a good conversation to be had. Um, so one thing I do want to talk about too, just kind of go thing. You said that you were stay-at-home mom, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. What are you writing? Like, I kind of want to know about this too. <laughs> the stand-up comedy. Yeah, stand-up yeah. comedy stuff. Oh my God, you guys, no. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be in a certain mood. I mean, <laughs> it's just me. It's sort of like writing. Like, some of it's like you know, like my actual, like what I experience in everyday life, and some of it's a little bit of a mix of um, like life experiences, but like typically I practice on my son <laughs> who can't respond verbally. But like, <laughs> and like both times that I've, you know, really given it my all, he's like legit fallen asleep. So it's like, I don't know. It's more of like a thing on the side, right? And it's, I think it's my way of coping with the feeling of probably loneliness of like not having a coworker, you know, or yeah. um, a friend at work, because um, I miss that part of it. I I love being a stay-at-home mom. My son's my world, but there's also like a lot of things that people don't talk about when you're a stay-at-home mom, and, it's, and that's one of those things. Um, it's lonely, especially during yeah. a pandemic. I write jokes that I tell myself and laugh at, which. I know it's probably like the definition of like that's no it's a good thing I think it's, yeah I think people need it I, I do weird shit too so don't worry <laughs> no and just laughing to myself and like I'm, I don't know I think I think there's a lot to be said for humor during dark times yeah comedians are, are that, that's one of the reasons I picked up Joe Rogan mainly because like his conversations are always good but like it's just like, he has some of the good comedians on, and they just make, God, man. The, their ability to say shit that's, like, so cringy and just, like, not give a fuck and, like, be okay with it, just, it's admirable in a way. It's very admirable because it's, like, and you know they're not bad people, but they're just saying stuff to get a rise out of you. It's just, like, like I, I say that, I'm, like, <gasps> like, I get that, like, initial, like, guess for air. It's, like, I don't know if I should say this, like. 
Because <laughs> that's, I think that's, a, I think generally people feel like that, but like, I don't know, like it's, but it, I love like, we'll go to Netflix and put on a good, you know, uh, comedian. Um, there's one that's really bad. And um, what's her name, Andy, that you made me watch? Oh Shogun. my gosh. I give Andy crap about this all the time. There's this comedian. She's good. I like her. She has one good line. She's like, gather around the Snapchat children. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I remember from it. But that's Andy's favorite comedian. Now I need to look up her name. Eliza or Eliza, right? Is that or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. Um, do you? So what? How, it, do you, how do you not know your favorite comedian? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hate to I hate to put you on the spot like that, but maybe because she's not I'm, my favorite. I'm like a, <laughs> I I love old Eddie Murphy. I was just listening to Joe Rogan talking about him the other day. He's with he was on with Rob Lowe, and old Eddie Murphy's gold. It is so gold. Like Eddie Murphy raw. Yeah, Eddie Murphy raw, and he's wearing these leather suits. Yeah, it just—he's just crazy. Like you're like you're like you, and you see Eddie Murphy in movies, and you're like, that's Eddie Murphy. Like back, that's Eddie Murphy back in the day. It's like you wouldn't. He just did Daddy Daycare. You're like you know what I mean? You're like that's Eddie Murphy. He's saying mm. some crazy shit right now. <laughs> but it's and they make that switch. Or Robin Williams, like old Robin Williams. I just listened to old Robin Williams. Yeah. It's so good. So good. The golf one. Very <laughs> like uh yeah. I just listened to old yeah. His George Bush piece makes and Dick Cheney. Oh my God! I've never think... laughed so hard. You haven't heard that? I don't think I'll so. I'll play it for you later. It's right. dude. It's it's short, but like he talks shit on <laughs> Dick Cheney shoots somebody, and then he's talking about George Bush. Oh, Junior! Like oh my God! It's so good. Just you know, but then you look at them, and then like uh, Joe Rogan was talking to Rob Lowe about mental health he's like and uh they were talking about do you have to be like messed up to be a comedian like like because they talk about chris farley um dying at a young age and what chris mm-hmm. farley would have become if he hadn't died at such a young age and and whatnot but like as it's like oh man it's probably true those demons in there and like no one talks about it that's a scary thing to me it's like i just i hope people have more conversations like this and it's kind of like this format because it's it's fun and you get to like learn about people and it doesn't have to be like in your face all the time mm-hmm. more know. helpful than some of the other stuff going on yeah yeah absolutely what do you think jesse who's no your... i mean i love all that comedian stuff so who's your favorite comedian um if it's not carlin then it's probably you know i, I grew up with andrew dice clay i loved andrew dice clay who has some of the dirtiest stuff but but george carlin's you know just obviously incredible but there's a lot of old school i love old school richard pryor um ju- just good stuff Sam Kennison was so hilarious back in the 80s. I don't know him. I know the other oh, ones. You'd, you'd know him. As soon as you saw him, his, you'd know him. heard his voice. He has that certain scream that's like, okay. Oh, I love Rodney Dangerfield, too. If you ever get a chance to listen to a lot of Rodney Dangerfield. I have I a hard it. time with people's face. Like, I have a hard time with like famous people until I can see them, like knowing about them. Because I get so busy with day-to-day stuff, I have a hard time like realizing who they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you tell me somebody's name, I'm like, I don't know who that is. And you're like, oh, that's, okay, that was that person. I don't know. But... All right, well, I think that's it for tonight. Do you want to add anything, Cindy? Like, no, I just wanted to thank you guys so much for having me and letting me just rant. No, it's it's awesome. It's a good mm-hmm. com- it's a conversation that needs to be had, and it's it's good that it's in like this type of format. You know, yeah. you're not all dolled up on CNN like trying to make a point. <laughs> I'm still gonna go after him. Yeah. yeah, totally. And just like reiterating the like, you know. My point of view is just my point of view. At the end of the day, like, I, I'm by no means trying to speak for everybody that is brown or a person of color or a therapist or, you know, it's just the way I view things. And um, equally, that being said, I respect the way other people view things. It's just, it is what it is, you know? 
as Trump would say, it is what it is. <laughs> I wish I was good at voices. This is this is one of our impersonations. She tried she tried this on her son, and he kind of fell over laughing, but she wasn't sure. So he was like, "I'm going to try this. I'm going to end this with it is what it is." But in Trump's voice. She's more into prop comedy. She's, she sticks with the props a lot. She uses her son like as a almost like a little ventriloquist. That's awesome. But... <laughs> Jesse knows from experience. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you, and we'll have to do this again. Yeah. Thank you guys right. so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.